Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast covering the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, spine number 45, 1991's Terminator 2, Judgment Day, and the epics of James Cameron with Hunter Killers, Jarheads, Shipwrecks, Submarines, Submarine Mechs, Battle Mechs, Power Loader Mechs, Mothers, Killer Aliens, Sexy Aliens, Good Arnold, Evil Arnold, Funny Arnold, Space Whales, and Bill Paxton. Jacob. Yes. Fuck you, asshole. to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight. Joining me, as always, is Martin Carlson. Martin, is James Cameron daddy? Oh, please let him be daddy. <laughs> I am just, man, I'm so fucking jazzed right now. You just saw it today, Avatar 2, obviously, we're talking about, but um, in the films of James Cameron, but I just watched it twice this week. I went Thursday night and then um, yesterday morning. And there's a thing that happens every time a Cameron film comes out, right? Of like, there's like real film people and like real fans who get excited and like they don't buy into the bullshit of like, oh, the big, you mean the Fern Gully movie? Oh, and there's the people who are like actually pay attention to what's going on. And this year it felt like a lot of people were doing the normal thing of he's going to fail. He, James Cameron, he's not relevant. And he does it every fucking time. He, it happens every time, and then he blows everyone away and changes cinema every fucking time. You he can almost to, set your watch lose. by it at this point, uh, going all the way back to Terminator 2, which is kind of why we picked that movie for today's episode. Yeah. On top of it being, I don't think it's out of line to say maybe the most formative blockbuster of like our generation, like people who grew up. Like with video stores and like multiplexes kind of changing and evolving into like 12, 16 screen theaters. Like Terminator 2 was one of those ones that ushered that in because it was the next biggest movie of all time from James Cameron. He went way over budget. He was doing all this crazy tech stuff with the special effects. He was bringing Arnold back, who was getting paid in like a jet and a Humvee at some point. Yeah. And then everybody was like, this is going to be a massive failure. He had The Abyss, which didn't do well and was like... It did fine, a but not... a nightmare yeah. to also make. And it was like, here we go. Fucking crazy-ass James Cameron. He's going to finally... It's almost like people root for him to fail. 100%. Because they know what a maniac he is and what a, like kind of an egocentric, let's say, despot he is on fucking set. But at the same time, he's also... If you talk to anybody... He's the guy who can literally do every job on the set. So it also feels like there's a little bit of envy. Needless to say, Terminator 2 kind of wrote the blueprint for the movie that just came out this weekend. 
you know, Avatar The Way of Water because it was the first in a series of movies where he was like, I'm going to change blockbuster filmmaking completely and I'm starting with the tech. I was thinking about, um, it's been a wonderful week for me to just think about James Cameron. I think about him quite a bit. I mean, The Abyss is hands down like top five favorite movie, like period. And we had a whole episode about like, I love shit with underwater bases. We did a whole thing about 1989 and that like little subgenre of underwater horror. And he was, you know, the best of that. And I've always felt like with him as a filmmaker, um, what he likes is what I like. Um, like he, his, his obsessions are my obsessions. And maybe I'm not sure it's chicken or the egg because I grew up with these films, you know, like sure. I grew up with Terminator. And like you said, Terminator two, I was in first grade when that came out. And we talked about this like last time we were hanging out. We were watching Terminator 1 together. When T2 came out, it's a rated R movie, though, that was like advertised to kids. Like I had the toy with a removable arm. I had a T-shirt that said it ends tonight that I wore. To, it was like glow in the dark and I wore it to school. Like kids were cutting their hair like Arnold. Like I did that. I was playing Terminator on the fucking um, jungle gym with my friend Andy Rhodes. Like he was T-1000. I was I remember this like vividly. But I was thinking about the tech specifically, and I was comparing how someone like Cameron, how it works with tech versus someone like Spielberg, right? And I was thinking about the difference between the makings of Terminator 2 and the makings of Jurassic Park, right? Two of the films that basically ushered in modern CGI. Sure. Right? So you have Terminator 2, and that is Cameron saying, all right, we pushed the envelope with just one scene at the abyss with this water tentacle, you know, like look what we were able to accomplish, like with using morphing technology and, and 3d uh, CGI and a lot of, a lot of processing power. I want to do that, but for the villain for Terminator two. And so he didn't create the tech, but he knew what was available and when it was ready and how to push like Dennis Muren and ILM to make that right. And, and, but not just use it, just do it to show it, but actually use it to a creative degree with you think about here at the story of the making of Jurassic park, which I love that movie, but they were going to do stop motion until like months before they shot the film with Phil Tippett. Right. And then camera, sorry, uh, Spielberg gets called into an office at ILM. They're like, Hey, by the way, I think we figured it out. And they're all watching this you know, famous story of him watching it with like Kathleen Kennedy and all them like, Oh shit, this is the future. But that wasn't Spielberg pushing that. That was him just showing up in an office. He wasn't the guy saying like, he. I love Spielberg, but it's a completely different relationship as a filmmaker with the tech. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, Cameron literally spent, what, the last 10 years developing the technology to make Avatar the Way of Water. Yeah, underwater mocap. And Meanwhile, he's also making like diving documentaries. He's exploring the Mariana Trench. Like... But he's, a, he's an eco activist now. He's an eco activist, like for like plant based lifestyles. Like yeah, he builds, he grows a hemp like uh like corporate hemp like on his like property in Australia. Yeah, he's this weird new age guy who also is like a madman on set, known for just absolute perfection. But the people who work with him swear up and down that like. They love him because he pushes you to basically be the best like yeah. version of mm -hmm. yourself, and that's what they really respond to. Like Sigourney Weaver in particular, there's this great oral history that just came out this past week on The Big Picture that's a series of interviews with everybody from like Roger Corman to Gail Ann Hurd to Sigourney Weaver, 
and they all comment about James Cameron. It seems that the big unifying theory behind him is that he's a dictator, but he's a dictator with a purpose. And instead of pushing you into like negative creative regions, it's not the shining with Kubrick. Brings, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's actually like bringing things out of you. You didn't know were there in the first place because like, they go all the way back in that oral history to talking to Roger Corman and how like Cameron was the guy who was doing matte paintings and, and model designs, you know, behind the scenes and like excelled so well that they basically made him like an assistant director. And he says this, you know, on like the actual record to where he's like most of what works in the movie, James Cameron directed well, it's like Battle Beyond the Stars like exactly. stuff, and and he did all the a lot of the map paintings, the great ones from uh, Escape from New York, right? Like all the New York stuff when they land the helicopters is all is all Cameron yeah. and Galaxy of Terror. Like he was a behind the scenes like effects guy for so long because in that oral history, like Gail Ann Hurd tells the story about how when that movie was like going so far over budget and like time, she was like Roger Corman's assistant at the time and went down to the model shop to see why the special effects were basically the ones like dragging the picture down. And she meets James Cameron and James Cameron's like, Oh yeah, I'm the head of the model shop. Let me show you all this stuff. And like goes into like detailed backstories for like every battleship in the movie and walks her through. And she goes and reports back to Roger Corman. She's like, yeah, the head of the, the uh, you know, SFX department, James showed me around. He goes, I don't know who that is. He's not the head of that. <laughs> But that's the type of guy, like, he was the guy who was like, yes, I'm going to take charge from, like, every creative decision to, like, I can actually build these things and make my movie better. I mean, that's what Aliens is almost entirely based off of. Like, that's one of the greatest analog effects miracles of, like, all time because he's doing everything on that set. And again causing a lot of havoc and chaos as he goes. Yeah, there's like all these wonder I mean crazy stories about the making of aliens and especially working with the British crew because they work slow slower than American crew and they they work more they work slower than um indie crews. They're used to breaks. But yeah, they do they, they, they do tea break for real, you know, and he and they're much like kinder and they just like don't it's not like yelling and he was not working with that well, but I think about this story I've heard about aliens was that he kept sending footage to uh, like 20th Century Fox, and they were like, "Where are the special effects we fucking paid you to do?" And he's like, "Oh, they're in the frame." Like he would do these things where he built these miniature sets that would sit around the camera, and he would shoot the action. Basically, he would do a set section, a set extension connected to the front of the camera. Yeah, and it's invisible. It's invisible. It's all life in miniature with him. It's crazy, you know, and. And the, the cl- classic thing too, I was you know obviously the last couple of weeks there's been you know um, Nolan starting to do his kind of media push for Oppenheimer, and he's talking about I wanted to have the, my people you know blow up a real uh, do a do a real like some kind of nuclear blast like practically right. And I saw someone say seems totally rational and safe. Ex- by the way. Exactly, and they said saw a picture from the end of Aliens with the nuclear blast as the dropship flies into space. And someone said, you should just call James Cameron. All he had was cotton balls and a light bulb. That's all that is. Yeah. You know, and he knows like. And like rear projection. Yeah. He knew like when, he knew like when he could go cheap on stuff, but that he knew it looked good. And I think that's what makes Cameron great is he knows what looks good. 
even his early films still were future proof. Like they all he knew what to show. Well, because he's such a like master carpenter behind the scenes, he knows where the seams are. Yes, the seams. So that's yeah. what he does is that he can stitch it all together. Because like when you watch something like Aliens, there are so many shots where you can tell, like, oh, that's rear projection, that's a puppet, that's this. But it's again, like you were saying, like the the surrounding kind of uh, arena that it's happening in that he's built and paid so much attention to like every detail in that's what sells it is that it's like these practical effects just blend in with everything from everything from the rear projection to that pu- puppet it becomes part of that textured there's that word again environment yeah because i think about i was watching the making of uh of, of aliens and they were doing a whole thing about the final fight with her in the power loader versus the um, alien queen. And I never knew how much miniature they used in that because it's so seamlessly put together. Yeah. All the wides are miniature. All of the wides are a puppet alien queen and a miniature Sigourney Weaver in that thing. But even the way they're able to, I don't know. I don't know how he did the, like the medium shots of Sigourney Weaver in that power loader making it look like this giant thing moving. Like to this day, I'm still in awe of what he was able to accomplish specifically. I mean, obviously everything he's done, but that one felt like he really pushed his budget because he, he wasn't given a stupid amount of money. And I didn't realize too, that Terminator one hadn't come out when he got the job for aliens. Right. And that they basically, he's like, if Terminator flops, I'm fucked. Like the crew's going to revolt. If I don't have a hit and it came out while they were like, in preparation and shooting aliens. And once it was like a fucking hit, it kind of gave him the respect he needed. Now, did he write Rambo first blood part two in, in between? Right. That's 85. Right. So that's in there. Yeah. I'm not sure when he wrote that though. He might've written that like, you know, Terminator time, you know, since, you know, I'm not sure. Well, I thought that was one of the things that delayed him for aliens oh. is that they wanted him to direct and he got that gig to write it too. So he was like, you got to wait for me for a little bit, but I'm going to bang this out and do that. Now here's the thing. I bring up Rambo first blood part two, uh, because I think that's one of the main themes that emerges along with aliens that goes on to define his movies for the rest of his career is Vietnam. Oh my God. People left behind, you know, soldiers sent off to die, like needlessly. Bad soldiers who have gone wild in a, in a extreme situation. Exactly. And become villains. I mean, even the abyss feels like when we talk about like special ops, like guys like going completely AWOL and like taking necklaces of ears, like universal soldier style. Like that's kind of who Michael Bean is playing in that movie. Absolutely. He's got the bends, but it's like the bends that you could get of just being, you know, again, behind enemy lines and kind of right. cut, cut off from your commanding officers, which they are. Cause like they lose contact with the surface and he's like cutting his arm with his Bowie knife, like under the table, you know, to like handle his, his sickness. Well, and I started thinking about this while watching the way of water today and see if you can follow this kind of thematic through line is that aliens and Rambo to, you know, first blood part two to a certain degree, but more aliens, their Vietnam films told from the grunts perspective yep. where avatar, those two films are now Vietnam movies, particularly the, the second film, but it's all told from the indigenous peoples who are being invaded 
by these like colonials. Like he's just, he's making the same movie, but he's flipping the perspective to where the aliens are no longer like the othered like killers and monsters. Like they're the ones we sympathize with. Well, it's like, I mean, again, it, it, those two connected the abyss, right? Because the abyss is basically close encounters of the third kind. A lot of the, the themes underwater. And like, even that one is the humans on the same side as the aliens trying to, trying to protect the world from, you know, this military, uh, might gone wrong. Now, I was thinking about that. I keep reading some reviews that I somewhat agree with is that it's always been the, especially with films like uh, Avatar Way of Water, which I loved, is, you know, Cameron as this, you know, um, eco-conscious activist in real life, obviously his eco-minded themes of the film but you can see he still finds military tech so fucking cool. And it's kind of like how the Empire has always had better tech and they always are cooler than like the rebels. But like camera, like for me, I don't give a shit about the Navi really, but like when the fucking like military bros show up and like the whale, the whale hunters, like that's when I'm like, I'm engaged. Well, he's Michael Bay without the jingoism. Absolutely. Like he's doing like, he's so into soldiers guns like dudes with bulletproof vests on hoorah marines exactly like just going into the shit and like getting it on with like whatever the enemy is at that given moment like those are his guys i think what's interesting is how his viewpoint has evolved from like the marines going in on the behalf of like corporations and like we experience horror in aliens to where in you know the avatar films like they become the actual bad guys. So the main guiding thing for him though is that it's always corporate greed that's like the the sole bad guy like Paul Reiser's Burke in Aliens is no different from Giovanni Ribisi's like middleman looking for it's unobtainium, right? Is the reason yes. that they're they're strip mining uh, the Avatar planet Pandora, but it's like Giovanni Ribisi is basically just doing a Paul Reiser impersonation in that movie. I mean, he just he's just doing it. I was I was thinking of you know we've talked this year about how it's been a year of greatest hits films and and the book you know Heat Two of these male filmmakers kind of looking back at their careers and kind of giving us a film that is a either a uh, a uh, Rosetta Stone or like a summation or so here's all the stuff that I like and Avatar 2 is definitely that because there's elements of you know Titanic obviously uh, Aliens the Abyss heavily um, the whole end fight is Terminator 2 you know and again like but that's not me dissing this movie I, I lo- again I love the things that he loves and I love how he puts it together again in those where the scenes are even story wise how to kind of make these things work you know in one world um well, I think what's definitely notable in that oral history is that when they interview Stephen Lang, he talks about how he auditioned for Aliens and didn't get the part. And, like, he just always kind of stayed in touch with Cameron, like, over the years. And finally, Avatar came along, and it was his shot to do, like, Aliens again, only in a different world. Only he went from hero to villain. And, man, if you're going to get somebody to do that heel turn, Stephen Lang... Like, for all of the money on display and the grandeur and the world building and the 3D tech, Stephen Lang is the greatest special effect of the Avatar films because he's so 
like magnetic and like charming even when he's being the most evil prick imaginable. He is so delightful in Avatar Way of Water. He's my favorite part of the movie. He's so good. There's two things in the movie that I did not expect. I knew I was going to love him. I've always loved Stephen Lang. I love him in Public Enemies. I love him in Manhunter. I love him in fucking Crime Story. You know, like, I love Stephen Lang. Who really surprised me was fucking Stam, Sam fucking Worthington. He's, he's really good he's in this become, movie. Because he was so out of his depth, I felt like, in the first... Not so, but, like... His accent wasn't strong. His acting was a little bit, you know. Well, he kind of won the lottery, right? Oh, Is that absolutely. He, it was in that time, and we've talked about this before, of when they were basically trying to give us the same white dude, like, over yep. and over again between him and, like, Jai Courtney. Charlie and, like, Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> James Badge Dale, even though Badge Dale turns out to be something else entirely as, like, a performer from them. But, like, I feel like he always got lumped in with those guys. And it for good reason, but he's gone on to do a bunch of weird shit afterwards. Like I know it's not respectable or anything, but like his like gonzo kind of psycho turn in sabotage, the David Ayer movie. He's so fucking great in that. He's great. You know, he's amazing in this year was under the banner of heaven, the Hulu show. Oh, I still haven't Um, seen it yet. He is like, I was watching it and I think I like was, I've never like, loved Sam Worthington, but like, that's the one where I was like, wait, this guy's like really grown into an impressive actor. And I read an article recently, an interview where he was kind of like talking about, like you said, I won the lottery. I was out of depth. I didn't know how to be a fucking movie star. You know, his, like the, he had to be the Sigourney Weaver of these films. Yeah. He had to fucking anchor it. And, but his ability in this one, like his stuff, uh, his acting with his sons, like there's a, there's a funny scene where he's like, how, how do the other guys look worse? A lot worse. Get the fuck out of here. His like, and again, the the motion capture is significantly better than it was, even though it's great in the first one. There's these little moments, and then Stephen Lang is just. I kept thinking about you know again Cameron's calling cards, how he does sequels. Is you know it's easy to say okay bigger bigger and better right fine like that's that's easier out of. But what he does though is he knows how to give the hero a new villain who basically offers a new challenge. I know that sounds simple, but a lot of times... But also feels familiar. Exactly, because you think about aliens, it's just just more aliens, right? And the alien queen, right? He expands the mythology. Just the... Terminator Terminator 2 is like, now the Terminator, the one we were scared of before, he's good, and the T-1000, this advanced thing, is bad. Like, Stephen Lang's the T-1000 in this movie. Exactly, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, like, imagine if Jake no longer has the benefit... And the overpowered nature of just being an avatar. It's like, now your bad guy is too. Their final battle is the battle of the Titans. I mean, it is like these two literally larger than life guys just whipping each other with fucking chains and having a knife fight in a sinking futuristic hovercraft. Aircraft carrier, basically. Oh, it's flipping over and capsizing. Like, he's combining so many things (laughs) in the last 40 minutes of this movie is that you have the marine warfare of aliens. You have a boat sinking like Titanic. You have a whole abyss, like hold your breath sequence. Yeah, busting hatchways, which is abyss all the oh way. Oh my God. And Titanic. Yes. The, you uh-huh. like literally watch the subs and like the hatches like flood and like those actors get thrown against fucking oh. like all the metal sets. And you're like, that guy definitely had a bruise in the morning there. There's fucking big Jim putting it to you. There's yeah. Cause there's again, like there's moments that I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I'm going to watch this so many more times in the theaters before it leaves. I mean, I'm just going to probably see it honestly five more times. And you said something off camera, but like 
this is a, he is now 10 years in the future. Like he honestly, this filmmaking is, I think like filmmaking of 10 years from now that people are going to have to catch up to because people were kind of complaining or saying things in reviews. Like it's like a theme park ride. I'm like, and like, it, it feels like the, 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 the 48 frames per second mixed with this stuff. But it's like the immersive feeling. I, this is the most immersive film I've ever seen in my life. It's also worth noting that a lot of people, not a lot, that's a gross exaggeration, but like some people rejected Stanley Kubrick's 2001 when it first came out oh, yeah. because they didn't believe that they were watching something that wasn't real. Like they thought that he was just filming space and it's like, he created all of this shit. Like that's the thing about, I guess you could make the argument that it's like his storytelling's too mythic. It's too basic. It's, it's too like it broad. It appeals to too broad a like audience. Yeah. That's one of the things he always gets dinged for. It's it's real general hero's journey like Cam- real, Campbell yeah, stuff, yeah. Exactly. All the Joseph Campbell kind of greatest hits are in there too. The thing about Avatar the Way of Water, which is amazing to me, is that it reminded me of two thousand one in that it's almost formless at certain points to where you're just hanging out in this world and it's like one person's Disney world is another person's art film, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, like because we watch 2001 now and what's the appeal of 2001 it's not that i can tell you what it's fucking about it's that we're literally in space and we're literally in the past with prehistoric monkeys and then we're literally in the future going through like the star child sequence where we don't even know what's happening and watching humans actually evolve in real time like There is no story to 2001, just in the same way that, like, for a huge chunk of Avatar, and you could probably argue maybe the entirety of Avatar The Way of Water, there's no story at all. It's just, guy wants revenge. Now we're in the world. Other guy's trying to protect his family. Let's hang out for three hours and almost 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, like, we talked off camera, about off camera, off mic, about, um, you know, Act 2 is in other people said this basically a nature documentary, but a nature documentary on an alien world you've never fucking seen in that the he most, created that he, out of his head, out of his fucking head with motion capture of underwater. There are sequences that are so thrilling. I mean, everything with the Tolkien is makes me so happy. It's like free Willy, but it's like again he knows what he's doing, and it's Terminator Two with like this overpowered friend of yours, and you're the kid who's kind of doesn't know his place in the world. And it's like, Hey, but I got like a giant behemoth, like the Terminator, like this Tolkien, the Tolkien owning the fucking boats in that scene. When it belly flops on them, I threw my hands in the air and almost threw my soda across the aisle because I was like, this is the most excited I've been in a theater. And like since Top Gun Maverick, honestly, I I talked to these really cool guys next to me at the film. It was their second time. And I was like, all right, cool. We're going to be friends because you're obviously initiated, you know, like you're here. Yeah. You get it. You get it. And they were like, we were talking in a James Cameron. And one of the things though, that this guy said, his name was uh, Dax. He was saying that, um, he was saying that, that Cameron, no one writes a heel better than Cameron. And that one, even if it's like cheesy and ridiculous, like, so the, the whaler, the main whaler guy's like, let's go make some money is like so cheese ball and on the nose. But like when he fucking gets it, the audience, it's like a fucking, like, 
it's like a World Cup game. People are like on their feet and like, fuck you, dude, like screaming that Cameron knows how to pull those strings for us. Now, was part of that just casting? Is oh, he oh, one of yeah. the greatest like blockbuster casting directors of all time? Because like from Sigourney and Aliens, like because one of the main stories that she even tells is that like he fought to keep Ripley and like she didn't want to do it at all because she thought a sequel to alien was like a stupid idea. And it wasn't until like she read the script and saw that it was like all Ripley all the time. And he was like expanding on the character and gave her stuff to do that. She was like, Oh, this would be fucking great. And then in the same way that like he gets his great stars, like we could talk all day about him being the primary architect of Arnold Schwarzenegger and right? Leo. He and created Leo. Yeah, Leo. That's fair. Because so I was thinking, I was also talking. These... Now to be fair, Leo was already on his way because he had a, an Academy Award nomination for Gilbert Grape already. Right, but superstardom, like yeah. So we were talking before about obviously Terminator. Like Tiger Beat, Matinee it, Idol, exactly. Because yeah. Terminator Two was the hugest movie of like our first, second grade, right? When Everybody it, at recess saw it the weekend before me. When Titanic came out, it was '97. I was in seventh grade. The uh, the girls in my class, I knew friends who saw it fourteen times. We had a one screen theater. The I arc- took like three different girls to this movie. It was at Earth. It was in my hometown. We had one theater. It was called Artcraft Theater. I grew up falling in love with movies. An old movie palace. An old like vaudeville theater. It's great. It was there for six months. They played av- they played Titanic for six months. I knew a girl who saw it 29 times. Can you imagine if we had all the recliners in the theaters back then that we do today? Like you would have to hire a jizz mopper to like clean oh. up the auditoriums afterwards because there were just a lot of dates happening in there. Oh, no, a lot of and but what's I was rewatching Titanic last week, which I had not seen since the theater. It had been 25 years. Great fucking movie. It's awesome. And what Cameron also knows beyond like making Leo just this like heartthrob, it's two movies. The first half for the girls, the second half for the boys. And I don't mean to be gendered with that, but it's like if you're there for a romance, you get all of that. If you are there for a huge epic disaster movie, you get that too. But they also obviously blend together. Well, take gender out of it entirely. It's again the thing that. I'm thinking middle school boys and girls. Yeah, no, no, 100%. Like, I understand your train of thought, but I was just using it to jump off and say, like, it's the same thing that, like, you see some folks, like, dinging him for with the Avatar movies is that they're always like, oh, he just, he works in these broad archetypes and strokes and, like, Joseph Campbell stuff. But, like, if you're making a movie for all the quadrants because you spent all the money, like, What's going to sell to everybody? The love story between two hot people, one rich, one poor, on a giant boat that everybody knows at the end is going to fucking sink. And then you actually sink the boat in a way nobody's ever seen before on screen. That means everybody wants to see it. It doesn't matter if you're a guy or girl. That's just fucking cool. Yeah, and something I was thinking about watching Titanic and then comparing that as well, obviously, visually to a lot of stuff in Avatar Way of Water there's our few filmmakers, and I think really Scott's another one, who could do the macro and the micro so well. 
and the, he has they have master editors as well. But the, the oh god, the, yeah. The, the, you think about I watching Titanic. You have this the ship sinks for an hour and a half. It's they hit they hit it at the midpoint. They hit the fucking iceberg. So it's literally like an hour and twenty minutes of it sinking, which is it did take a while in real life. And the way it cuts between the the different people that he's established for an hour and a half and them trying to get off the 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 class and cutting back and forth to the people from the lower the lower decks trying to get up and being locked down there, just Jack and Rose as our main heroes, like we're gonna follow them all the way, have them on the top of the ship as it goes down, is the same thing he does with Avatar Way of Water. This giant battle scene and how he's able to you know where everyone is at all times. You know the stakes at all times. You know the danger at all times. We should never take away from him just his basic grasp of like spatial action filmmaking. I think he's the best, oh God, the yeah. best living today. It's he's the one that every action director since has modeled themselves yeah. after. Like there's no Michael Bay without James Cameron. There's no Tony Scott. Without James yep. Cameron, I mean, you could probably make the argument that he'd still exist because of his brother Ridley, but like, he's the guy who wrote the playbook, and then let them essentially make all those movies in his absence because he's made what nine features? Mm, I think so. Yeah, without documentaries, let's say. So like in his absence, he's been like, sure, go off and play with in this playground that I basically built, but when I get back, I rule. Like, I, I'm going to give you something, again, that totally, like, reworks the monkey bars, let's say. Yeah, he's, him coming back, like, this, again, this film feels like I'm, I went to the future. It feels like the future of cinema, and for real. I mean, and I, a lot of articles have been written this year about the cultural relevance of, uh, or the lack thereof, of the first Avatar, and everyone can just fuck the shit, fuck the hell off out of my life with that because the re- what people think of cultural relevance, they think of fucking Star Wars and Marvel. They think of T-shirts. And- Here's the thing that's never made sense about that argument to me because you pinpoint Avatar, but he's literally done this in multiple <laughs> decades. So like, no, and I'm being honest. No, I mean, like, this was real. like a this was a a thought that I had because I was listening to another podcast where one of the people, one of the hosts was older. He was like our age. And he was talking about how Terminator 2 was such like a defining movie for him, the same way that we're talking about, while his producer is in like his early 20s and stuff, has never seen Terminator 2, but counts Avatar as one of the movies that redefined like the way that his generation watched films. And then in between, you have Titanic, which like set the world on fire and was a legit cultural phenomenon from the Celine Dion song oh to the imagery. Like it's just like you said, you had friends who saw that movie 29 times. So it's like what the cultural relevance argument about avatar seems to forget is that what's culturally relevant now might not be to you 40 year old New York times writer, but to 16-year-old guy who wants to go to film school next and is like lining up at their local AMC to see the you know Avatar or the Way of Water now like that's their Terminator 2 that's their Titanic like he's done this multiple times so you don't get to actually ding a dude because he's had different like he's minted so many like iconic pieces of pop culture at this point that it's like okay cool yeah like sure 
you might not connect with that, but you connect with the Terminator, right? Like he did that for you already. And he did fucking Jack and Rose for you too. So now this generation gets the Navi. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that. I love that perspective because I, one of the best parts of this last weekend of seeing the movie twice was running. Kind of went an IMAX 3d at Bob Bullock here in town, a full, you know, the full, uh, for our listeners, a full actual like theater, um, like, uh, museum, IMAX, you know, almost Omnimax size. And everyone I talked to there in line, sitting down, were true believers in cinema. They were true believers in Cameron, right? So, like, everyone was there. The vibes were good. Everyone, and everyone had stories about what the film, the first one, meant to them or what Cameron meant to them. And there are so many of us, you know, like I, so I was in, I had an extra ticket because sadly you had to work. And so I was in line and this, this nice dude walks by and goes, anyone got an extra ticket? I said, actually, yeah. Uh, I do, buddy. I do, because I wasn't, I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll eat the money. Who Look cares? at you, St. Martin. And, and he's like, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks. I'm like, that's a, that's a, you know, profit. He goes, Andy, come sit with us. I come up to the front. So we basically got to the front of the line with him and everyone was cool with it. Uh, I hope they were. Um, if not, fuck yeah, you. Yeah, but like we ended up all talking for 30 minutes about how important that film had been to us as, as film viewers. And they were all sure. saying like, because they've been friends since like, like second grade, they were saying, and they were like, oh man, like we this was a film that we saw together as friends and it just absolutely kind of like gelled our relationship. And then I was there yesterday and this, this older gentleman to the left of me was like, this is my avatar my favorite movie of all time. He, and he was like, and he was with his partner and they were saying like, he's like, Oh my God. He goes, I just say, he goes, anytime my husband wants to get me to do something, he just says, I see you and I do whatever he wants me to. And it's like, this guy was like, this, this film's really important to me. And to sit next to him and how, yeah, there's like big general character beats, but he was so moved. Like everyone in my row was crying at the end. I mean, it's like, this is a grand entertainment and it's really connects with people. Well, I know you haven't seen it yet and we might end up watching it tonight. Oh, I'm excited. Is um, it Babylon? Yeah. So Babylon's possibly my favorite movie of the year. It's one of the craziest movies I've seen since like the heyday of like Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson really bringing that like, cocaine 90s like vhs kid fuck yeah to like the the mainstream like art cinema 78 million dollar movie but there's a yeah. speech that brad pitt gives in it where he talks about the movies as being not just part of a greater art but the way that the common man feels less alone in the world and how they go there to escape their problems completely and transport themselves onto that screen into whatever adventure is happening. That's what like James Cameron is the king of. Like yep. he's the guy who delivers like the heroes to different generations of working class people in a way that they can understand. He's not like he can talk all the science talk yeah. to the nerds behind the scenes so that they can make these movies because he's into that probably even more than they are. But at the same time, he never dumbs it down for the people in, the, in like who buy those $20 tickets and are looking up at the screen. And he's saying, this is what you get for your investment. And I love you just as much as I love these guys who make this movie happen. He makes it, I mean, he gets the audience it, it, very similar to Maverick. Right. And it's like, you know, Cruz is also a crazy person. Right. But like Cruz knows what looks big on the screen and what's exciting. It's like, what he it, knows what people pay for. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to give you a grand entertainment. You're paying $20 and like, you're coming to the theater. I'm going to give you something you can't get at home. And like, 
you know, it's, it's super cliche to say this, but like Avatar demands to be seen in 3D on the biggest screen possible. One of the thoughts I had while watching this movie is that I hope this plays in theaters forever. I, because I want like, to be able to go anytime. Movies are dying and like theaters are going out of business and they're struggling to keep sales up. Like there's no reason that Avatar can't like even when new stuff keeps coming out, like you can't just give that one theater like and just let it keep playing and people to just keep experiencing it. Because again, it's experiential cinema it's up there with and this sounds ridiculous to say out loud but it's up there with like 2001 it's up there with lawrence of arabia That's what I kept it's thinking up there of, with like was, was the lean. grand epics that transport you to these places because that and then just let you be there even in like the way of like like there's an argument that like this is also kind of like his dazed and confused or his licorice pizza, <laughs> which are also experiential movies because yeah. they're all about people coming of age, finding their friends, finding what like separates them. Like he like tells all of these micro stories within this universe because to him, the A to B to C plot doesn't matter. The world is what matters, and watching how these people operate within it is what matters. His another thing that I think is just genius about him is his attention to detail. It, it is it is a couple of things. It's obviously like he knows how to do these huge things, but it's the micro as well. And I watching Terminator Two before you came over, but for me the moment that defines James Cameron to me is uh, and I, I think I've talked about this before with off mic is when they're at the insane asylum with and, and they're uh, Sarah's escaping and the T one thousand walks through that grate and. He's walking through this amazing special effect, and then you hear clink, and the camera pans down, and the gun is stuck. Like he's got his his raw, he's got his his Beretta, and he can't get it through. He's got to move his hand, and it's these little flourishes, these little cherries on top that he does in scenes that also show the limits of of like your villain. He knows how to like draw parameters um, so well, and it's like he also knows how to take an idea and go all the way with it. You get to the end of T two when uh, Arnold punches through the T-1000's head, it morphs around so that his head becomes his hands, and now he's holding his hands and beats the shit out of him. It's like, Cameron just, he's like, oh, it'd be cool to have a liquid metal guy, but also I'm going to go all the way with it. And that's what Way of Water is, is he takes everything to the ultimate limit. The Tolkoon is like, oh, he wouldn't have him fucking slice that guy's arm off because they say he's intelligent. It's all Chekhov's gun over and over again. He plants these things early in his films and it all comes back in every time. Yeah. Because for as big as he is on the actual environments that he's creating, like he loves the narratives that are happening in between them. Now I'll ask you a question because it's probably one of the more controversial elements of his movie stretching back to Terminator two. How do you feel about the Cameron kids? Like from Eddie Furlong on, they're always the weakest part for me. Um, I I get it. I mean, actually, go, I guess it's Newt. I was going to say, you go back to Aliens with Newt. Um, actually, uh, when I was talking, those guys at the theater yesterday, this guy Dax said the same thing. It was, it was always about with the sequels. He puts the kids in, you know, and I think it adds new stakes. Um, I think it's when you have a kid, how, whatever age they are, it's an, a new sense of innocence of like, oh my God, like there's this giant creature, these monsters or, or evil. It's a thing to protect, a, thing to protect. a sense of innocence. I will say, even as a young kid, 
Well, actually, no. As a young kid, Edward was also like, Furlong was my entry into that movie. Because it was like, we all feel at that age, like my friend, my my friend, the Terminator. is in, he And Cameron got it. Like he knew that. Well, it's my bodyguard yeah. just as a sci-fi Terminator movie. Absolutely, you know. And so, but even in Way of Water, they're probably, the, they're the weakest written characters, I think. But like, that's not a problem. Again, because they are our way in. I think, again, like my nephew saw it this morning and he's really into sharks in the ocean right now. And I was like, he's going to shit. My nephew's going to fucking shit when he sees this movie. I told my brother, it's like, he's going to lose his mind. Dude, you know that old, Eight-year-old like, nephew is going to make his world. You know the old Twitter meme where they're like, you're in an executive boardroom and they're being like, we're pitching a sequel. And what do you do? And they write the title on the board. And then the director walks up and just puts an S with a dollar sign at the end. It's almost like everybody around Cameron was like, theaters are dying. Movies are going to streaming. How do we keep this big? And he walked to the the whiteboard, picks up the the Sharpie, and just writes Space Sharks. <laughs> and then sits back down. Because that was one of the thoughts that I had where I was like, dude, he fucking like brought everybody's favorite animals. Like he made space dolphins. There are space sharks. There's space whales. Space and flying gators. Space flying gator <laughs> things that they're on. Those like it's awesome. just like he was like, yeah, I know what the people want. I mean, let's could, go to SeaWorld. It's so it's so visceral. I mean, because like he did I mean, he did it with um, the first Avatar. But I was talking to my friend Danica, who's a huge Cameron fan. We we were to grad school together, and we were kind of downloading our discussion Saturday after she saw it. And she was like, Avatar way of water feels like the first avatar he wanted to make. That was like, yeah, because the water, cause he's an ocean guy and the water wasn't there yet. When well, he doesn't have to deal with that much exposition in this one too. It's exactly. like, you, you have a whole three hour movie you can watch. There's your entry point. This is when I just fuck around and do my shit. Yeah. He, uh, she was saying like, yeah, I did all the sky shit. Fuck that. Now we're in the water now. And then even the end of the film, he's like, this is where we make our stand. I said, Oh, we're going to have three new films all in the ocean because that's where Cameron wants to be. And mark my words, I will predict. And if they, he does it, I will kiss him on the lips when I meet him. We're going to have a whole abyss sequence, an underwater base where the humans are going to be because they're going to say we're in, they're going to be like on the run from the av- from the avatars and the, or the Navi and say we're going to build this giant like Death Star base at the bottom of the ocean on Pandora. Guaranteed, right? I mean, like... Were you expecting, like, Navi horniness, though? Like, that threw me off a little bit because I was like... I'm attracted to the young Sigourney Weaver, and I feel like a bad person for saying too. that. I, I didn't want to say it out loud, but I was okay. the same way to where I was like, is that Navi hot? Mm, is she of age? Is there consent with Navi? I mean, Sigourney Weaver's in her 70s, so I'm cool with that. Well, you it's know? her daughter, though, that she's voicing, so I'm a little... It makes I me don't feel know. weird. How do you feel about Spider? I don't know when Stephen Lang had a kid. I think he was just had sex with a woman who worked there. That was not he, he was like he just dumped in someone random and you know, Spider came out. To and quote Tom Segura, like, the next time you're going to pull out, don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, because it's like Spider feels like. Did you ever see the John Borman movie, The Emerald Forest? I have the making of diaries that's the, i've read that whole book that's essentially the spider story yeah, it's his right? son it's charlie it's charlie borman right yeah right. um absolutely but, but that's what i kept thinking of with that character or, or tarzan i 
like him. He yeah. he does well. I mean, like, because there's people who out there who like argue that Newt sucks, and I'm like, I like Newt. Yeah, I like Newt too. I don't like her voice. It's weird, but like, anyway, it seems really dumb. But I like Eddie Furlong too because yeah, okay. I back it, to your question about the kids. Yeah, I always like thought like yeah, he hits that high like kind of shrill pitch at certain points and like he's obviously like a little dipshit but that's also the character and i'm not gonna lie when i was like 12 or whatever when this movie came out i wanted that credit card reader oh my god i you know i still think of that scene every time i use an atm i kid you not that's how that's how like formative that movie is it is like in my brain all day long i I also think of poor wolfie well, there's that great band, Wolfie's Just Fine, uh, Jean LeJoy from um, uh, the the League. Um, he's got a great song about he wrote about Friday Thirteen Part Five, and, <laughs> and um, but Wolfie's Just Fine is the name of the band, and I always think of that scene. I actually, was just watching that scene today, and like, I don't know how they did that. I don't know how they did that. And how she killed Xander Berkeley. Like, it's so se- seamlessly done. Isn't it amazing that Xander Berkeley, for like ninety one <laughs> through like Heat, let's say ninety five, that was like, do you just want this like Shitty beta <laughs> cut douchebag who like Candyman all the way? Yeah, yeah, can't help but like just sleep with these weird vulnerable women. Like it's. He was he was really stereotyped then, and then he got a fucking knife in the mouth through a carton of milk. You can ball my wife and her ex-husband's bullshit dead tech. <laughs> but you do not. Yeah, no, I actually met him at uh, briefly at South by one year. And I like, I like Xander Berkeley. Like, I like the shit he's in. And I just introduced myself really quickly. And I said, I'm a fan. Um, but I always, he's in a lot of movies that I like. And he plays that part well. Sure. You know, but again, heels. I mean, like Cameron writes heels across the board. I think about the psychiatrist from part one into part two is the sarcastic douchebag. The way that Cameron. I always wondered how he got that promotion. Too. I mean, right. And he, Cameron really like knows how to anyone that like violence is perpetrated against by a Terminator, by another character. He builds up our hatred for them ahead of time. Most of the time, except for the guard he shoots in the in the kneecaps, <laughs> who just seems like a nice guy. But when he, um, especially in the extended cut, all those guards and shit are horrible. Not just the guy who licks her face in T two, like the rest of them. Like all of them are like saying horrible shit to her, and they're all pieces of crap. So when they get beaten up by the Terminator by Arnold, it's like a real sense of retribution, right? We're all like, yeah. Especially for the guy who licks her face, like oh, a total weirdo. He, he, the way that I watched that scene today too, the way that he edits, like it looks like she cracked that guy's face in. It's so well put together. Like she breaks his face with the, the, the broom handle. So I did have this question too, that occurred to me while watching all these movies. If James Cameron started his career, Later, would he be canceled by now because of all of his improprieties with, like, say, Catherine Bigelow and Linda Hamilton and... Well, and then Susie Amos from Titanic. Susie Amos. Yeah, like, there's a lot going on there. I think, if not because of that, um, the fact that Scott Rudin was just canceled for being an asshole. There was a whole op-ed about that. And, like, he he's... No, just... And he is from what I've heard, had no sexual improprieties. And the, um, no, he was just a maniac. Just a maniac, like breaking breaking laptops and, and being horrible. I agree. I think so. I think Cameron, the fact that, I mean, David O. Russell is still working, but he's not James Cameron. 
Um, he, I mean, he's still making movies on a certain level. He is. You're so, right. And he's got, I mean, like, back to I Heart Huckabee's, the leaked video of him just screaming at Lily Tomlin. I mean, like, that's still online. It made the made the rounds a very early viral. Behind, all his shit with Amy Adams and how she'll never work with him again. Like, always wondered if the Hurt Locker beating the original Avatar for Best Picture that year was, like, their way of being like, well, it's fine. She She beat him in the end you know, for the biggest movie in the world. And she made it this like little indie, she being Catherine Bigelow yeah. made this little indie, like war movie more or less. And like that one best picture. I always wonder if that's what saved him from like further scrutiny in that department. It's possible. And, and from everything I've heard that he has mellowed considerably, like all the, and I think it might be a part of like the media push they're doing is like him saying like, I've grown up a lot. I've met, I'm not that guy anymore. You it's know, me, it's like the softer James Cameron. Yeah. And he's still like kind of a totalitarian actor asshole and we expect he's also him. doing all of this press in fox racing shirts it's like hilarious he has like the hardest like monster energy drink auteur thing going on he looks it's like my dad will wear a fly fishing shirt for dress up and for hanging he's like james cameron that way it's like dad you can't wear it at the church you can't wear a fucking or fly james fishing cameron shirt. looks like he's on vacation i had to think the <laughs> thought that he looks like he's on vacation with his family and forgot a shirt and was like hey let me borrow that one that's fine he's got his board care. shorts and then a yeah, fucking exactly. fox racing he's like ah all he needs is like a coors light like a half drank can land shark yeah. yeah just being like yeah I, I made this shit. I invented that technology, and then you guys are all just going to watch it. Because it made, what, like $450 million in its first weekend? Yeah, they said, oh, it's a little lower and projected. I said, it's still fucking monstrously big. And again, this movie's going to play through the holidays. Like, it's just going to be the thing that everybody goes and watches. Again, There's nothing until February, which is Quantumania. There's, yeah. like, Disney knows, like, we're not going to do anything until February. Like, it'll break $2 billion, I bet. Well, and since you just name-dropped it, Two of the trailers I saw before this movie to contrast with Oppenheimer were Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, yep. followed immediately by Ant-Man Quantumania, which are both going to be like the next big like tent poles inside the, the MCU. I believe Quantumania is even introducing the next big, like, bad. Like big bad, the Thanos standard, which is Kang the Conqueror? Jonathan Majors. Yeah. Which I'm excited for his career to blow up. And sure. He, and he's in Creed 3, which looks awesome. Yeah. he look, I'm more excited for that than I am for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. They shot that in IMAX, dude. I saw a trailer for that before. I can't wait. I'm, we're going to go. We're going to do a whole it's episode. So on, good. Get ready, y'all. We're doing a whole episode on Rocky and Creed. So anyway, go ahead. No, but I was just thinking how, like, you watch those two trailers. And, like, I watched, I was telling you this off, Mike, is that that first trailer played and that first gag where Dave Bautista just spikes a dodgeball off of some, like, weird alien's face and goes, ha! Like, I literally laughed out loud. And then the trailer kept going and it has, like, the space hog needle drop and all the, the great James Gunn dialogue and blah, blah, blah. But then Quantum Medium plays... And it has like an Elton John needle drop and all the space stuff. And seems like it's after the James Gunn, like sense of humor with Paul Rudd at the center. And I'm like, I can't tell the difference between these two movies anymore. Like they might, you, you could slap one title on one and one title on the other. And I'd be like, all right, whatever. But I watch a James Cameron movie immediately after. And you know, five minutes in, you're like, oh, this is James Cameron. It's... Like it's so auteur driven. It's a completely, and I keep thinking about 
like I'm the weird one out um, sometimes with Marvel films because I have some friends I still see them with and they're like my really good friends that I enjoy watching the movies with. And so it's like, cool, if I'm going to watch it, it's with them. It's like I get a couple of beers at Alamo. Provides their own amusement park ride. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and it's like I love these people. So for me, it's like, cool, I get to spend the afternoon watching it, which isn't terrible, you know. But the last couple ones, like when I saw specifically Shang-Chi and then the new Doctor, uh, Doctor um, Strange and then uh, Black Panther, uh, Wakanda Forever, I left completely cold. Like I literally forgot everything about the movie. The second I walked out, it literally felt like I just had McDonald's. It was just like a fast food. I shit it out. It was gone. Didn't have a bad time, but nothing stuck with me. It felt so corporate, empty calories, even Ryan, even cooler. Cause I thought the first black Panther had like a tourist touches to his action. Not a tourist, but like at least it had. No, some, it like, does. It has that, I'm not rolling my eyes at you for that. It's more like I wouldn't want to be Ryan Coogler saddled with the task of making the next Black Panther movie after Chadwick Boseman. Oh, and and they do. I mean, I'm not sure you didn't see it yet. No, but they. It's, I'm not going to watch it. No, I and it's just not good. Regardless of it's so. I mean, I that is a tragedy, but like it's not a good movie. And they, I think they also kind of uncomfortably try to benefit from it and like put it into the beginning and end as a tearjerker thing. As like the death of Chadwick. It's a business. It's a, like yeah. that's what it is. But that's know the that difference between. I think that's what's amazing. And again, another like stated difference between James Cameron and all these filmmakers who have like modeled after him is that only a few of them got the pure business angle. Michael Bay being one of them. Yeah. Like Michael Bay made Armageddon. And even though people reviled it, it was still like the people will watch this. Uh- the fucking Transformer sequels. Like, yeah. people, those movies are like, I mean, I hated part four and Objectively five. Objectively But they all made over a billion dollars. Right. Like, they're huge movies. And he comes in under budget and makes the money back. And he knows what's exciting. He's like, it's like tits and ass and robots. It's it's dumb James Cameron. I mean, in, in, in but it's still like. The true monster energy. Like, oh, if James yeah. Cameron is monster energy, then like, Michael Bay is bang. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's the one you go ah oh, man they don't have the zero calorie one here i guess i'm drinking bang tonight there was something i was thinking about too like rewatching all these movies and like again like it is hard to put into words like what makes cameron so special because he is just like it's you you watch a film you're like that's how you do it you know it's one of those things it's, it's invisible sometimes you're like that's how movies should look. I think about just like the look of Terminator 2. I, I love like blue nighttime cinematography, that steely look of that movie. Like every movie should look like Terminator 2, in my opinion. All the neons that have stretched back to Terminator, like when he's doing tech noir. And, yeah. But it's just different scene. updated, like again, for different eras. It's like you have tech noir, which looks and feels like the cocaine 80s. And then you have, you know, Arnold walking into like this grungy you know biker bar completely naked and then later that and that's kind of its weird steely neon that goes through the movie too like malls oh my god uh, garages with fluorescent lights it's all about that harsh like 90s lighting and then avatar is like everything glows like he transports the same kind of visual ideas from like movie to movie but they're just again they apply to the environment that he's operating with it. Uh, uh, well, it's cool because uh, he, th- he knows how to use the glowing stuff to show the uh, harmony of nature and the good, the bioluminescence of Pandora, 
when the villains come in, it's hard and it's fire. Like the end, the end whole sequence. It's steel and metal and bullets. It, all the end sequence of them on the on the flipping on the flipping ship and 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 uh, Jake Sully fighting with Quaritch is Terminator Two. It's like this. It's metal. And again, it's metal. It's hard. It's hard light. It's hard angles. You know, and even I watched an interview with Stephen Lang's the coolest fucking interview. Like he's, you can tell he's having a blast on this. Like everyone else is kind of uncomfortable, and he's just like, "Hey, man, I'm loving my life. I'm three vodkas <laughs> deep." Yeah, he, he's just like really fucking cool. Um, but he has a whole thing. He's like, he's like, Pandora is is all about curves and about about the curves of nature and f- and the water and the flow. He's like, Corich is hard right angles. And yeah. as, as a per, he goes at a performer, but you see it. It's like we shouldn't underestimate just the amount of work that some of these performers have put in. And then like also like, you know, Nateri I think is somewhat sidelined in the narrative of this film. But when she opens up a can and takes that ship, I'm hooping and hollering. She is it's awesome. She and she goes feral. I think they're building in some stuff for the future films of they say she's an animal earlier. They're watching that footage, and then we see her kind of go feral. There's this kind of I think there's going to be a little bit of a theme of the animal taking over for her um, when she wants revenge and Jake kind of like pulling that back a little bit. Yeah, having to reel that back in. Yeah, but when that that whole end sequence of them alone, two of them killing like fifty dudes, and there's nothing cooler than like you know the equivalent of like what a five foot long arrow, which is like how long theirs are, just like piercing dudes. The sound of it hitting the thwack. And, and I was thinking too, dude. It's like those bullets during the Miles Dyson sequence that's of Terminator the, that's Two. That's the one when like they either hit bodies or glass or police cars yep. or like flesh, and it's like you like they always. He's so attentive to like what does it sound like? It sounds different when Miles Dyson gets fucking lit up by a SWAT team than it does when Arnold starts shooting at the same SWAT team. I was thinking that today watching T2 because the difference of between the various specific sound of his shotgun, right? That again, we've talked before about guns and about like the personality of a, like, this is not a gun. It's his gun. It's this like flippy, the way he like kind of cocks it with a flip. And then the 45, uh, that whole like motorcycle sequence when he's doing yep. the, the shotgun and like over and over <laughs> again, it's like an old West, like cowboy movie. Yes, absolutely. And you have like the sound of her, that tinny sound of the 45, that, but the, the, the sound of it hitting the liquid metal too. It's well, and the all, Gatling gun too. Oh, that everything has a personality to it. Plus the um the when he shoots the uh, tear gas launcher, thump, thump, and you hear that same sound in Avatar: Way of Water when they're shooting the the depth charges. And you could see it's like there's these. He knows every again every element from from image to sound to. Well, you take it all the way back to writing Rambo: First Blood Part Two. He took Rambo. From being the Vietnam, like PTSD riddled Vietnam vet, average Joe who can't get a job at the local garage being hunted by Brian Denemy and like shitty deputies like up in the mountains to this oiled machine gun toting warrior who's rescuing POWs and killing like straight up Russian like. Yep interlopers while while on this like rescue mission in Vietnam. Like he's just, he takes, it's the same thing that he did with Ripley is that it was like, you like the average yes. likeness of her and how she's just this working class blue collar girl. But what if the working class blue collar character picked up a gun and went to war? 
and that's again taking it back to Vietnam too. Like that's the whole thing that's haunted is whole from like filmography. He's I've also realized watching these films kind of closer together again. I watched them all a lot. <laughs> um, and sadly, The Abyss is still impossible to find on streaming. It is now no longer available anywhere. But there's been an uh, announcement. I'll see it when I'll believe when I fucking have it in my hand is the 4K uh, Abyss disc in supposed March. supposed to be in March. Yeah. March. And that will be the, my most sought after disc, period, like of my life. And I'm really excited. Um, we're getting a Leviathan 4K disc as well from Kino. Um so we'll have two beautiful 89 underwater. Not uh, as sought after as the abyss, but I'll let it. Pass. But I still love Leviathan. As I, as I think I texted you on Friday, I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in wa- underwater mode. Um, but there's an apocalyptic nature to everything he's done. There is, you know, from, you know, the war with the machines for Terminator one and two, the aliens basically overtaking, you know, or just like if they spread out across the universe, it's over. We cannot let this out of you know, LV-426, um, The Abyss, I mean, especially the uh, deleted scenes of The Abyss of, like, there is, in the background already, this war between the Russians and Americans of, like, we're about to destroy... It's all Cold War paranoia. We're, yeah, we're about to destroy the planet. Um, T2, obviously, then. Um, the nuclear bomb in True Lies. Um, the I mean, Obviously, the apocalyptic nature of Titanic, of this thing's unsinkable ship. And then Avatar, Avatar 1 and 2, of, like, we've killed our Earth. And the first one, it's like, okay, we're going to, like, bleed this dry in an avatar way of water it's no this is going to become like the new earth which is, i think is going to be the the backstory leading forward to the next to the sequels of like more humans coming more people putting down roots well it's all man's folly right like, going oh, back and, and to and their the terminator yeah. and being like well miles dyson creates you know skynet you know through cyberdyne and everything it takes over becomes sentient takes the world over it's a, like destroys the whole world and nukes humanity destroys its creators uh true lies is all about the the kind of 90s middle eastern paranoia yeah. little ugly. doesn't age too well yeah mm, yeah no not <laughs> Actually, at all pretty, pretty horribly yeah um you know but terminator 2 like expands that entire universe you know within that uh, from terminator 1 to terminator 2 true lies is all about like you know, the wrong people getting an atom bomb and killing everything. And then you get to like Pandora and Avatar and it's all about like man strip mining a planet that's not their own for this sellable element both times because you have yeah. the unobtainium in the first movie and in the second one with the whole whale it's, it's poaching plot line. It's ambergris. Exactly. It, you know, it's Moby Dick, right? So, but he's fascinated by how we are the architects of our own yep. apocalypse. Yeah. I, I thought of, you know, again, the idea of the corporate heels, you know, people like G. Paul Reiser, Paul Reiser of these, the, the hubris of him to say, like, I love that. She's like, we're going there to destroy them. Right. Not to bring back. And he's like, you have my word on that. And of course he almost tries to like impregnate both her and Newt. Yeah, because she figures it out. It's like, no, he's gonna. They're gonna put it in under quarantine. They wouldn't check it because we're in we're in stasis. And it's like, oh my god, like just. But he's always, and he also knows how to, like you said, take an idea and go all the way with it. Like taking the alien world of you already know that like the company Wayland Yutani is not the most human centric corporation, but he's like, I'm going to go all the way with that, you know? Um, and I mean, it's, it's, we'll get into this with questions, but like 
some of his films like in the in the eighties um are just so perfect on every like Aliens is a perfect movie. Like it is yeah. it's unassailable. Like you just it looks it looks amazing to this day. It's fucking thirty six years old. And he also his films, when you look at his films and the films that came out in those years around it, he again is a decade ahead. I was watching Total Recall last week, which I love, but the special effects in that look like fucking kindergarten compared to T2. They're a year apart. They look like different decades of filmmaking. I feel the same, again, to our point with Avatar Way of Water, you compare, even if it hasn't come out yet, looking at the green screen bullshit of Quantumania and a film. Not the same, yeah. And it's like we're talking about different decades and different, you know, T2 versus everything around it. Um Aliens versus all mid eighties sci-fi shit. It's like even true lies versus the action that it was basically making more or less of. aping yeah. of that decade. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's funny. Like, you know, you were saying before about, we were talking about how him, he made Leo, but he, no one made Arnold like, like he did. And I keep reading these articles about why hasn't the rock become the new Arnold. They said he didn't have a Cameron. Yeah, that all he needed because because he's chosen yep. to basically be the creative force instead yep. of putting his image in the hands of a, like a master creator. Yep, and you watch Black Adam. Um, never watch it, anybody. Um, it's it is it makes you think you might hate movies. Like it's so, and it, that's a good filmmaker because that's no, Joe May call it Sarah. The Shallows is one of my favorite shark movies. We know this. Like I love that shit, and like I don't think Jungle Cruise is that bad. And I like his, I like his Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson stuff. stuff. Yeah. But like, this is such a piece of corporate Orphan. soulless filmmaking that it, it feels just so cynical. The whole it's thing product It's complete product. It's, it's, it's content, you know, all hail content with a capital C. And I think makes you think like, Oh my God, like this made it through. Um, but the thing is like Pete, no one saw it. No one's going, honestly, people are like, wow, this is really bad. And, Avatar, word of mouth, I think, still is the greatest advertising you can ask for. That Cameron has a Star Wars mentality, an early, like, 77 Star Wars of, like, if you put something out... It's real, if you build it, they will come. Exactly. You know, people will freak out and say, oh, hey, if, like, you know, I ended up going to the new Avatar, and, like, I wasn't a huge fan of the first film, but, like, oh, my God, you need to see it. And that happens a million times to five friends. That's it. Right, like, well, and especially we're in a climate where you have no competition, no competition, you know, and Babylon's out, but like that's gonna be a different clientele. The whales out, different clientele. So Babylon's a totally different conversation that we'll have later because yeah. I think Babylon's gonna be like his heaven's gate. Oh, baby, yes. But you want to get to questions? Let's do it, man. All right.
We're back with questions about spy number 45, 1991's Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Martin, hardest one first. Top Fuck. three Cameron. Honestly, like prepping for this part, I I am so at a loss. Um, number one, it's easily the best though. That just like that's my that's my one. Um, I love underwater again underwater base movies that are somewhat futuristic and again a chicken or the egg i think that cameron like really instilled that in me because i saw this at a young age and it truly is a mind-blowing film to this day i mean like the he said that the hardest physical film he ever made was the abyss the hardest mental was was avatar the avatar was like figuring out problems with like technology the abyss was brute forest inside of an abandoned nuclear power plant yes flooded flooded with water and like you watch the film and again the theme of the day seamless i mean you the way he was able to put together what was a nightmare shoot i mean double the budget double the schedule you know getting punched in the face by ed harris i mean like just but it's one of my favorite movies hands down um, number two would be the Terminator part one. Um, we spoke while watching it together last week about how usually it would be like, I would be the one who's into T2 and you're into T1. It's usually into kind of the grimier, like kind of 42nd street kind of genre feel for, for some reason, this one, because I think it's because of my slasher love, you know, of it feels like a slasher movie with a little bit bigger budget, not a huge budget. I think it's like 4.5 million or something like that. Yeah. Um, obviously added inflation for that, but a film where he showed how much he could do with nothing um, and knew what looked good, but also his ability to his storytelling ability to dole out information about a somewhat complex um, mythology um, and doing it where it never stops with, and does, does exposition. I think the, the classic scene of, they're on the run from the Terminator and they're hiding in that parking garage. And uh, Kyle Reese is talking to Sarah Connor and just giving her the information she needs while he's loading a fucking shotgun while the Terminator is like circling them. It's all the thing that we noted while we watched it together is that the filmmaking matches the narrative propulsion. Yeah. Like when they're on the run, the camera's moving with them. It's dashing. You're on dollies. Like cars are like squealing out of parking lots. It's harsh fluorescent light. Guns are going, but in between, it's giving you all the information just as fast. It's him saying like, I'm from the future. I'm here to protect you because you give birth to like the leader of the free nation fighting against these Terminator machines go. And you're like, what? Like in anybody else's hands, you would be like, hold, we need to rewind the tape a little bit because I don't know what the fuck is happening now. It's, it's so clearly, it's so clearly done. I think another film actually really fall, obviously falls in the footsteps of Terminator is the matrix. I mean, obviously like thematically and, and just story wise it's there, but like they're also Lana and Lily's ability to kind of storytell within the action is really good. Um, And I think that's also, they are very much children of Cameron and their filmmaking style. I mean, Jupiter Ascending, it's a mess, but that's a Cameron movie. Like, that kind of mythology is a Cameron movie. Right down to the New Age yep. kind of accepting uh, ethos that kind of goes behind it. Absolutely. absolutely. And um, Like, the Wachowskis are the true spawn yeah. of Cameron. They're the visionaries that also have the politics behind it. Yeah. And the and gender politics and like a lot of, you know, Jupiter sending on, I mean, much about, about, about trans narratives. And so it's, 
they're they're it's all there. Um, and I love the Wachowskis. I mean, I like fucking Speed Racer. Um, and the third one would be um, it would be Aliens. Um, it, again, like all of these films are like probably top three. Um, yeah, it's but, real Sophie's Choice shit. But yeah, not. I mean, Titanic. As much as I like rewatching, it's not a one I want to watch a lot. It's not as important to me. Um, but aliens, I remember seeing it for the first time. I think I was like 13. Um, I rented it from D Rose video in Franklin, Indiana. I had never seen alien, but I, I had heard aliens was great. And my parents rented it for me and I got to just watch it alone. I watched it like three times in a row. I said, this movie, it movie changed my brain. Like it rewired my brain of like, this is what an action sci-fi horror plot could do. And out of all of those movies, out of, you know, you have Aliens, you have Terminator, Predator, and RoboCop. And I think out of all of those, my, I think, I mean, Terminator as well, but like Aliens just has this perfect plot. It's scary. It's also cool. And the, and the details that are there, I think about, watched it last week again, of Cameron he always knows how to put that little flourish. And there's a scene where the, um, their, uh, their Rover is like going into like the complex and they have that giant, like uh, double barreled, like uh, cannon on top and it slides back onto the back. So it can go through the smaller space. It's like only Cameron would think of that. You, you know, know, it's a weird line from aliens that I always find myself like latching on to is like, after the big chase where Ripley takes over the, the RV yep. and gets away or whatever. And she's, she's busted through the wall. They're away. And uh, Hicks comes behind her to like calm her down. And he's like, ease, ease up, ease up. You blew the transaxle. And you're like, I don't know what the fuck a transaxle is. And it's in this fictional car that looks like, you know, even Elon Musk wouldn't design it in the future. But Cameron in his head is like, Oh yeah, she blew the transaxle. I, that's so funny. That's why we're friends is like, I always think of that line too. And I like that line. It's like, but you get what it is. It's like, you're like, Oh, like she's the same basis. She's, yeah. she's grinding. He's like, you're just grinding gears. It's like, okay, cool. It's like, Oh, I love that. Um, but aliens is just like, it's beautifully shot. Special effects are perfect. The set pieces, again, he's a set piece master. And there were multiple amazing set pieces. Also, the micro character stuff, like Vasquez hating Gorman and like how they die together with the grenade. Hicks and Ripley, Drake and um, Vasquez as well. They're kind of somewhat sexual relationship. Well, H- again, Hudson the, the mini narratives, like even Gorman, the leader, yep. and then Vasquez dying together yep. with the grenade, is that you go through this whole complex emotional journey of her hating him, him being this milk taste toast, like straight out of the academy, yep. like rubberneck. Vietnam again, the hard, right? Yeah, An her officer. being the hardcore grunt, but when it comes down to it, they take their lives together honorably instead of letting the enemy kill them. And you're just like, God damn it, James Cameron, you just hit all these little beats and make me care about this shit. He weaves it in. And there's something else he does in aliens too, that really blew me away rewatching it. Cause I was just really just trying to like pay really close attention versus just watching it for the 30, 40th time was the way that he in probably 10 minutes of introducing all the grunts, you know everyone's relationship to one another, you know all their backstory, what everyone's place in the unit, Apone and Hudson, Hicks about, you know, he's the one who's sleeping, Drake and Vasquez, Vasquez and Hudson, 
their relationship to Ripley, their relationship to the new Lieutenant Gorman. It's all done in like 10 minutes. Like his efficiency as a, as a writer too is, is unparalleled. Well, and then also carting over Ripley's paranoia from the first movie with Bishop. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I didn't think about that. It's one of the most like beautiful relationships in the entire movie by the end. Yep. Not bad for a human. I mean, like, and it makes you Lance fucking Henriksen's, cry. Like, is this the point that we talk about two things with Cameron too? Both his stock players, the yep. people like Jeanette Goldstein, Paxton. Lance Henriksen, Paxton showing up as some of the greatest, like, shit heel turns ever from Hudson. And what's his character's name in True Lies where he's pretending to be the undercover CIA I agent? got a little dick. It's pathetic. I don't remember. He's so great in that fucking movie. That's the ultimate Bill Paxton oh, role. He's a schmuck. He's schmuck level 11. Like, he's, yeah. he's great. He's schmucky as fucking Titanic, too. Because yeah. he's like this treasure hunter. And like he kind of learns his lesson somewhat. Like he learns about true love and is like, I shouldn't be out for treasure. But he's so schmucky. I think he's got a fucking earring and everything in that movie. Well, I love how he even brings the other stars back. Like Kate Winslet's in The Way of Water, but like unless you read the credits, you kind of would never know it. And of course, all the press about her breaking Tom Cruise's underwater record for holding her breath. Yeah. And, and then, but his, and she's barely in the movie, but I think she's a bigger character in part three and said also that like she and Cameron had a pretty difficult relationship after Titanic because it was so just physically demanding and they kind of reconnected over the years and were looking for a project together. Here's the other thing that strikes me about Cameron. And I wonder if it's why he wouldn't get quote unquote canceled today too, is that, Everything he puts his actors through, he does himself too. Because if you ever watch the behind the scenes, like photos or the production Abyss, stuff, yeah. like especially the Abyss and Titanic, like when Jack and Rose, Leo and Kate are on that plank at the end, freezing to death, he's in a wetsuit in the water with them. He's not directing from a boat or a stage or whatever. He's in that fucking freezing cold water being like, how you guys doing? Like, we're, we're like, how are we going to shoot the scene? Here's your motivations. Like he... You know, one of my favorite uh, stories about him with Terminator 2 is that, like, re-watching this movie for the however many time, like Aliens 2, when you get to the last 40 minutes, Fuck. that freeway chase scene, like, Avatar, The Way of Water gets that same level of uh, adrenaline going with that whole boat Never battle stops. and the... the, the whale poachers and everything. But one of the things I always loved about Terminator two is that story that like they couldn't get the shot with the, the 18 wheeler and mm. going under the bridge and the highway and everything. So like, and, and like his cameramen were getting worried because of how daring like the helicopter moves were. And then they had to get it down to where he's literally shooting on the same level as the cars and stuff. So Cameron, instead of like, allaying their fears and being like, no, it's okay. Just shoot it again. You'll be fine. Literally grabs the camera, jumps in the helicopter and shoots it himself. And you're like, that's the reason why I think they all hate him. But at the same time, they're, they begrudgingly respect him because they're like, well, he's got balls of steel, man. And he knows how to do everything. It's the general who will say, like, I won't ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself. And, right. it, and it builds respect. I fucking hate that guy, but he's a prick. But you know what? I'll work for him again in a second. Well, yeah, I mean, people wear that T-shirt proudly of like, you can't scare me. I worked for James Cameron, you know, and it's like people come back. Like he has, lo again, loyal collaborators, actors and crew. 
you know, um, not Ed Harris though. Ed Harris or Mary Elizabeth Boss or Antonio will need neither will be returning. <laughs> They're not on speaking at, terms at, at any at any point. Um, but he, I mean, he also has that ability, similar to like Walter Hill or like Dan O'Bannon, of like he can build a crew of of people so well in their relations. The Abyss has just such wonderful like cross relationships among everyone of just little things. All it takes is like. Um, the one, the one sub pilot who rolls her eyes when Lindsay comes down or and puts her fingers are like, Ugh. and that's all you need is like they're on Bud's side, you know? Yeah. And then it's all his, the way he's able to, so again, efficiency, he knows how to like, you know, people are like, Oh, this is so long. It's like, but it's jam packed full of information. Oh, I hate that bitch. Well, you probably shouldn't have married it's, her. That is so amazing. Or the little ridiculous of him throwing the ring, ring away, grabbing it. And it saves his fucking life. Like, in any other filmmaker's hands, I would roll my eyes with a camera, and I'm like, yes. Out, again, Chekhov's ring. Everything is planted and used. And that's Avatar Ray of Water, too. Every little thing through the film is used to some advantage, like through the, through the, through the, the climax specifically. Now, here's question number two. He, he's like one of the master tinkerers when it comes to like cuts and stuff. Mm-hmm. W- what do you think? When it comes to those, like, cause I had never seen the T2 ultimate cut or director's cut, whatever it is. I know there's like three or four cuts of the movie. I watched the longest one. Yeah. Unnecessary. Agreed. I love the theatrical, like so much more aliens. I think some of it works, but some of it is also not necessary. Like the Newt's family stuff. And then like more of the Ripley daughter stuff. Like it's more, it's better when it's implied and you know, Cameron's doing shorthand. But then the the sentry guns are fucking cool, you know? Yeah. I So they just released an article, an interview with him yesterday, where he said Avatar 3, whatever it will be called, is now at its rough cut without fully uh, done graphics is nine hours long. And he's like, so this is what he's doing. Maniac. They're going to process all nine hours. He said that we're going to make all of that. And then I'm going to edit. I'm like, you're fucking crazy because the amount of processing power to do that. I think as much as I like the extra stuff in all of them, there's lots of just as a fan of all these movies, like, cool, I'll take, again, I like the Terminator 2 of unscrewing his head plate and like taking out the chip with the, he used uh, um, Linda Hamilton's twin to be on the other side of the mirror to fake that. Again, just a really cool scene. He also knows it's not him, Zack Snyder in the shit and saying like, no, no, the studio is like, no, he knows when he's gone too far. I mean, all the extra stuff in T2 all belongs on the cutting room floor, all the stuff on the cutting room floor of aliens of that whole opening as cool as it is to see what happened to Newt's family. It kills the entire flow of that movie. But then the longer version of the abyss is the best version. I like it all. I like the tightness though. Of um of the of the theatrical cut, but that being said, I do like it adds more stakes because the world is literally ending as it happens in the theatrical cut. It's like no, this bomb's gonna go off if Brigman doesn't cut these wires correctly. Um, but it also makes it more personal. Where it's like oh, he's gonna die now, and now he can never go through with the love he has with Lindsay. But I also love the giant wave coming to basically destroy the planet. It makes the aliens have more power. It's like their love proves to them. It's like Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen where it's like, no, 
your humanity is proving to us that we should save the world. Um, so I like it. All right. It's a long-winded answer for I could always use with more Cameron, but I like the theatrical cuts for the most part. What are your top three? We didn't do that. Terminator 2, Aliens, and then The Abyss. Yeah. So we're yeah. close. Yeah. Again, you know, it's hard to fucking Same choose. reasoning pretty much yeah. across the board. Okay. Um, double feature. With Terminator 2 or with any of them? Any of them. Man, I, di- I didn't even like really. You know what? Um, I would do with uh, with Aliens, um, Blade Runner. Uh, I I know that's more like obviously akin to Alien, but like I was thinking of what other filmmaker can do epic like Cameron, and I think Scott's one of the only living ones who can do that. Um, they're very different films, but I think they're also these like completely realized worlds even more than a technical wizard technical wizards like the opening i watched the whole thing at the opening shot of like them moving in on futuristic la and the flames coming out it was like 14 passes they did with emotion like a motion controlled camera and those are two films to your point about avatar way of water where i feel the immersion um when i watch blade runner i don't know how they did that movie like, I know they built huge sets, but it's also just absolutely ridiculous. Even to this day, I'm like, I don't know how you did this. This movie's fucking enormous. It feels like I'm in 1999, 97, um, L.A. Um, so for pure immersion and pure futurist filmmaking, like, I, I think they're both futurists. They kind of, you know, as Cameron is more into the futurist kind of mentality of technology, but also um, ecology, like, when I interviewed Ridley Scott at South by like he's all about AI for real now, like artificial intelligence is his obsession in robotics. So it's like, they're both futurists beyond being filmmakers. So I would do, I would do that. How about you? I always wanted to do a series where you paired Cameron movies with Verhoeven films. I mean, it's to where yeah. you do like, just as like, cause Cameron's so straight faced and sincere and wants to get you like to that real emotional kind of truth. Yeah. And Verhoeven's just being a dick the whole time and like kind of taking the piss out. And horny. Also yeah. Very horny, but they both love violence so much. So pairing stuff like the Terminator with RoboCop, obviously total recall and Terminator two, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then starship troopers might be the great, B-side. I was going to say to Avatar. Ooh, yeah. To where you have Vietnam films or even aliens like with the Vietnam kind of film allegory and then the the satire contained within Starship. Like, that would be my pick. I love that. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun. It is is funny that both you and I, I mean, obviously there was the Arnold connection, but I watched Twitter Recall and was just thinking of how it's a different Arnold than the Arnold you get in in Terminator. You know, Verhoeven, they're very different in a lot of ways. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of crossover too, and I love them both. So, so we can't do remake. Yeah, because none of it makes any sense. There's been a million Terminator sequels, Aliens, other Alien yeah. films. Cameron's like basically remade his own movies more than once, like or other people's movies. So, our question was going to be if Cameron could apply his kind of master carpenter auteur thing to any IP, what would you want him to do? I've known my answer for about 20 years. That's fantastic for, um, 
he no one does the grandeur and size and epic scale and cosmic just insanity i think better than him and the de- attention to detail that reed richards is as you know mr fantastic is this like super techie guy with ridiculous like inventions like cameron um i think he would get that character um those films out of all and this is like i don't want it to be part of the marvel universe i want him just to, if again in dream state it would be a 300 million dollar summer tentpole fantastic four movie with no connection to the mcu done 10 years ago with just giant it would be versus the scrolls and these like basically giant alien battles and that size movie um he also it's also it's all about a family and he knows how to do family dynamics so well so the way he he would totally i think kill you know sue storm mr fantastic johnny storm and and the thing ben Grimm, and they're like the way they all have separate relationships with one another um and the ability to do the micro of the family and then the macro of like probably facing off against like the silver surfer and galactus like that size movie him doing a downtown new york with like a space god just stepping down and just shooting giant cosmic blasts and blowing apart the empire state building like i would like to see cameron do that and then them just swimming in like the the space you know cosmic space of like billions of light years away so i thought a lot about this and i think he's the only one who could do it and they're giving it to the fucking guy who did like spider-man no way home so it's like cool john watts john watts the director not a real person the director of cop car oh i always wanted this is kind of a cheat but i'd love to see cameron just do a shark movie like a normal like obviously like giant shark movie like imagine cameron's the meg i i Yes. Or like, yes, just doing a Jaws sort of like adventure riff or something like that. Like that would be my answer, especially after seeing Way of Water and how it turns into Space Jaws for a minute. My favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, it's you know, so I was amazing. Dying. I was just like dying. But it would be great to just see him make like a back to basics, hunt some sharks, sharks fuck some shit up, and you know, let's see, you know, man versus nature. Imagine just a futuristic shark hunting movie like with all the tech of like the whale hunting scene yeah, exactly. for two and a half hours um yeah i your answer is better than mine because i want to see that movie really really badly and he actually if you read the sequel to the meg the book the trench um which they're making now i think ben wheatley did it mm-hmm. um all takes place in an underwater base like the abyss so it just it's just the abyss meets giant shark so you should read that and it'll, he should make that movie sold. It, yeah. Done. So face melter for Terminator two. Yeah. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> I feel like this is a, like, like, it's not the, even debatable. Like again, he rewrote blockbuster history with aliens, T2 <laughs> Titanic, the now the avatar movies like it's it's insane like there's he's changing whole generations of film goers he's inspiring people like he's one of the greats he might be the goat of this style of filmmaking yep when he comes back i'm and i'm you know what after seeing way of water twice and probably three or four more times i can't wait for part three even if it's just visuals and like underwater shit, it's like, it's going to be crazy. Supposedly he turned that in. I think it was three or four to 20th century or to Disney. And they were like, no notes. They're like, just do that. 
So it's going to be and it's going to get and you know it's going to get bigger every Just time. Just print money. It's going to get bigger every time. Like we're going to have like I don't know what the final battle is going to be in these movies, but it's going to be like our brains are going to split in half. And I believe that. Can't wait. Oh man. Um yeah. So Martin, this is the last episode of the year. As usual, it's been great. Been a good year of movies. Yeah, good ass year of movies. I'm going to turn 40 in a few days. I'm going to go watch your ABBA cover band while I do that. But you guys will have to stay tuned into 2023 to see what we have for you next at Secret Handshake. Happy New Year, y'all. Yep. Living this life so big